Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the Irish NFL show. We are delighted to have our first guest on the show this week, a good friend of the show and somebody we last spoke to um, at the Super Bowl, but who had joined us live for our London show um, last year. We Welcome back, Phoebe Schechter. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's pretty incredible, really, how many times we've been able to come together over these years. <laughs> In, indeed. And now you have had um, a busy couple of months. You have been on television screens on both sides of um, the Atlantic. Do you, do you want to tell um, the viewers in Ireland a little bit about the, the Good Morning Football experience? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty incredible. Uh, goodness, I just think that all of it, sometimes I need to take a moment to pinch myself, even when you mentioned it before, the fact that we were at the at the Super Bowl together not too long ago. I mean, I just feel like this year and, and the past couple of years has been pretty special. And, you know, the opportunity to talk about football, the opportunity to talk to people who are passionate about football. I just feel so, so fortunate. And yeah, I'm doing a bit more TV work. So hopefully again this season with Sky, still working talk sport radio. So yeah, just just trying my hardest, really. <laughs> Fantastic. And um, I know that um, when we were talking in terms of setting this up, you were saying that you're going to be heading off to the, the World Championships in the not too distant future. Yeah, absolutely. So for Tackle um, with Team GB, I leave in exactly a week to go to Finland with the team. Uh, and that is the Women's World Championships in Finland. Uh, so we will be competing against Mexico, Canada, hopefully the USA, um, Finland have a team, Sweden, Australia. So there's a, a few pretty amazing teams that will be out there. And I actually just got back from Birmingham, Alabama, where they had the World Games. And for the first time ever, flag football was in the World Games, which for those who don't know, it is the stepping stone in order to get the sport into the Olympics. So fingers crossed for that one as well. Yeah, that would be quite something. I know, obviously, Brett Gosper, um, you know, who's now with the league, obviously, former head of World Rugby, did a lot of work around rugby and the Olympics. So it's great to see um, the, the NFL going in, in that direction. And I, we're also, you know, kind of beginning to see more and more women getting involved, not just in coaching that we've talked to you about before, but also at the executive level. Um, and obviously, the Raiders making um, another really great move to um, in terms of the first female president um what like i suppose um for as somebody who's who's been involved in the sport played coached and, and been around um what do you what what's your view at, as we sit in july 2022 about um i suppose women in american football phoebe you know i think that the nfl has really done a brilliant job of making a strong clear vision of getting more diversity and more females involved within the sport. And you're seeing that now come to fruition, like you said, with the Raiders, with Catherine Raich, with the Eagles. I mean, we've got positional coaches. This year, they passed the rule about having a minority or underrepresented group being able to be an offensive assistant, you know, getting an internship that way. So all the pieces are in the right place. And now it's just taking time. For me, the NFL and, and really any large organization a lot of times don't want to be the ones to take that initial risk, but similar to how the NFL runs in terms of its plays, it is a copycat league. So for example, when Katie Sowers and the 49ers got to the Super Bowl a few years ago, 
the other team started looking around being like, well, actually, this isn't so scary. Someone's done it now. They've put their foot in the water. Okay, now we can get on board with it. And, you know, and it just takes that seeing it to understand that actually this is, could be a really positive thing for an organization. Phoebe, it sounds like you've had a hectic off-season, but it's been a hectic off-season across the league. It's been crazy, all the different moves in terms of trades and obviously the free agency period, the, the draft, the craziness. We, we're hitting training camps, and yet the Bills are the favourites to win the Super Bowl this year. And, and last year was a successful season, but it, it feels like it's going to have been washed over because of the last 14 seconds in that game against the Chiefs. When we had you on in London, you spoke so highly of them. What's your expectations ahead of the season? Are they rightly favorites in your opinion? Yeah, you know, I think this season is is actually going to be a really tough one for them. They always say, you know, if you look back to when Coach McDermott took over the Bills going on six years ago, um, you know, he was successful his first year. And then that second year was really tough because you've had success. And it's really tough in the NFL to maintain that success. So for me, I think this is really a turning point for the team. And I think the players and the coaches feel that as well. You know, if they're not, if this isn't the year for them to get to the Super Bowl, will they have potentially missed that opportunity? Um, you know, it's it's not always an easy division. The Patriots have always kind of reigned over. They're still building at this time, but the Bills this year, and you know, this might be their last real opportunity to to get to the Super Bowl. Um, but you're completely right, Brian. I think those 13 seconds are all anybody remembers of Buffalo of all of last season. <laughs> One of the uh, interesting parts for me is to see how Josh Allen develops this year because he has a new offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, who was very successful there, has now become the Giants head coach. It'll be interesting to see the dynamic in terms of how he progresses because a lot of the attributes in, over the past few years have been put down in terms of how aggressive he's been, has been accounted to Brian Dable in terms of how he brought him from where he was initially when he came into the league. Massively. And Brian Dable has an assistant, Shea Tierney, and they literally were together in Alabama at the Eagles. And, and Shea's a really smart guy. And, and like you said, the kind of the trio of them have had such a great rapport with each other on the same page, you know, and, and they're at a point where that, that playbook was like the back of his hand. Right. And we've seen them over the years, have it not be that easy for him. And, and finally getting to a place where, you know, Josh now knows the plays that he likes and he can read that defense and he can make clear quality decisions for the team. You know, I think there's still a lot of really great people and people who've been around him since he was a rookie. I think there's enough of those people in the building still to be able to nurture him um, combined with his maturity at the same point that actually, do I think it will be that much of a difference? Not necessarily. Um, but it will just be a matter of, you know, okay, now you've got someone new in your headset on game day, you know, potentially a call that you thought Dable would have called on third down. Well, actually now this is a new call. So it's more of those kind of idiosyncrasies that they'll have to get aligned and, and hopefully you can get that done in, in training camp with these few games we have here. 
And I suppose if if the Bills are Heartbreak Hotel, where they've been so close so many times, if we go uh, to towards uh, Michigan and the factory of sadness, unfortunately, up in up in Detroit, it's you know I I saw a, a great um, video on TikTok the other day about why somebody should date a Lions fan because they'll be loyal no matter what, and they don't have <laughs> expectations, and it doesn't matter how long, um, you know, if, it, if it's decades and decades, but there is a, there's something of a feel good factor around the Lions this year. Um, Dan Campbell, they finished last year strong after having kind of a tough opening up to say the beginning of December. They the draft they got the player they wanted, um, and obviously they there seems to be a kind of a real camaraderie uh, around there. Do you think that they can really build on that um, and have, you know, a, a better season? Not not I don't think anyone is saying, you know, they're going to maybe the playoffs, but for for the Lions, is it a false donor or can they really build on something here, Phoebe? Yeah, well, first off, I love that you've called it a factory of sadness. That is perhaps my favorite name. Um, you know, what? I think Dan Campbell, I. I love him as a coach, right? And his players and his coaches love him as a coach. And that can carry so much weight within an organization. When you actually want to play for the person, those intangibles can be the difference between winning and losing. Now, looking at last year, they had a lot of close calls, which are very unfortunate for them, but it actually shows that they are pulling in the right direction. And like you said, you know, with their draft picks, they got six out of eight of the defensive draft choices. Now that can, that can be a brilliant thing. And I love that Dan Campbell is an offensive guy who's now putting his emphasis on defense. I think that says a lot about a head coach and how balanced he is uh, because it's not easy. If, you know, if you're an offensive guy or you're a defensive guy column, you might just try and get a few extra of players on your side of the ball. But I think he's done a really nice job. I think the whole organization's done a nice job. Um, but for me, it, it does come down to, his players love him and they respect him as a guy who's really been there, done that on the line himself. Phoebe, back in 2018, uh, Baker Mayfield was the first pick and, and Sam Darnold was the third pick. And Ben McAzoo at the time spoke poorly of Baker Mayfield. And now he's going he's gonna to work with both of them to figure out who's the best person to take, take the sponsors team forward. Has Baker being given a, a raw deal, there's such a mixed reaction in terms of what people think of him from it, you know, but he had a lot of injuries last year. He had brought the Browns to the playoffs for the first time in so long. I mean, where do you see this one right now? Is it, is it Baker's position to lose or is it going to be a very open situation in camp? I mean, that is, that is not a great situation. I think to be honest, you, you know, unfortunately Baker Mayfield really never had the opportunity to, do anything special yes he's brought him to the playoffs which is massive but now between him and Sam Darnold I mean looking at Sam Darnold even he never really got anywhere right you've got two quarterbacks now who've kind of been either par or subpar for a lot of their careers and now they're the ones that are competing for that starting spot I mean for me Baker Mayfield is the guy we've seen Sam Darnold at multiple teams now never get that opportunity at first we thought maybe you know the Jets organization is what wasn't going in the way for Sam you know he needed new leadership around him well now he's had his new leadership and he's still not able to really do anything so for me like like you said again I think it's the Baker Mayfield's position to lose but he's going to have to change some of the things that he did 
in Cleveland, he's going to have to change that now at the Panthers. Almost almost like he needs to reinvent himself as a quarterback and really take ownership of this opportunity come his way with the Panthers. And I suppose, um, you know, one of the other really interesting things, I think, going into to this um, season is the Patriots, because last year with a rookie um, QB, they make the playoffs, but they run into a Bills juggernaut who put an unmerciful beatdown on them. So their, their playoff, um, you know, that that huge loss kind of meant the season ended in, in a real disappointment. And, um, you know, I, I know some people wondering whether they would have been better off not making the, the playoffs to, to kind of lower expectations they lose JC Jackson um they they're drafting I, I saw they were one of four teams who, who don't have any of their 2019 um draft members um left on the the roster um but they do have Bill Belichick are, are people being too hasty in writing off the, the Patriots? I've seen, you know, there's been plenty of talk that, that this is the, the ultimately the, the downfall of the, the empire. Um, or, you know, can Bill spring a surprise? I think that we would all be very silly to underestimate Bill Belichick and what he's able to do with any organization um, when he's able to install his way, which a lot of people in that organization are still Bill Belichick guys. I don't love the the stat of all his 2019 draft picks going because that doesn't say much for the development, the long-term development. But if we actually look at what Bill Belichick's done over the years, and if we're saying, okay, his main focus is the quarterback. So his relationship with that franchise quarterback, and that's what we're going to build around. Well, now we've got his franchise quarterback and we did watch him last year build. Now, as we kind of say, it's not very sexy football that he had with Mac Jones, but he got the job done. He built up and, and gave his quarterback confidence. And I think, you know, if we look at from the beginning of last season to the end of last season, even apart from what happened with, with Buffalo, because I don't want to take away the game planning Buffalo had, Mac Jones was still massively developing and he came a long way and he made good decisions. He was able to execute the plays that were called you know, proficiently. So perhaps now it's just for, for Belichick and the Patriots to build around Mac Jones and that offense. And, you know, he's got a great defensive coordinator and, and I think they'll, they will continue to go that way. They're not that explosive type of team. That's just not their identity, but they are consistent and they are always on the rise. And that's a very dangerous combination. If you're patient. <laughs> Phoebe, we were fortunate um, to be in London, I suppose, when the Jags won uh, last October, one of the few bright spots of last season. I think uh, the season was a story of the head coach and Urban Meyer and how he didn't really transition well from college coaching into the NFL. And it probably, to a certain extent, held Trevor Lawrence back. But this offseason, a lot of Jags fans feel they're going in the right direction. Doug Peterson is a former quarterback, so no better man, I suppose, to, to you know, in terms of developing Trevor Lawrence. And they were very aggressive in in free agency is this the real year to think is it essentially like starting all over again or is it just I suppose last season was a nice slowly piece in terms of development from what we should be seeing from Trevor Lawrence because the expectations were so high they were so high on him and and I really feel bad for him that he had such an unfortunate situation around him I mean we all saw it when they were in London you know you could see that relationship with Urban Meyer and then everything you know 
following that with, with how Urban Meyer distanced himself from the team. And you really need that as a head coach and as an organization with your franchise quarterback, you need to be able to support them all the time. And, and I think that Trevor Lawrence really got the short straw. And, you know, I know we've said that before with Tua Tagalova and, and all that, but actually I think even more so having Doug Peterson in the building, like you said, he's a, a quarterback himself, but he also was able to develop Nick Foles and, and bring him to a Super Bowl. I think he's got a really nice way about him. Um, there's a ton of coaches out there that have coached and come from the Doug Peterson tree who've always had really positive things to say. So if you've got someone who's able to nurture that young quarterback, I think that last year isn't totally lost, but it will make such a difference to him. And I'd be really keen to, to speak to someone in the building to see the actual differences just in the atmosphere and the culture in which now Peterson brings to the table. And Duke Peterson in free agency, a lot of the talks around the, the, I suppose, a lot of people felt the overpaid on the wide receiver situation, but he's brought in quite a few players from the NFC East and he he knows his time there, served there with the Eagles. So it looked like uh, some strategic moves because he, he understands the division. He's going to play every team in the division this year. Was You think that's a part of the mindset that he get players in, he can trust in, in order to rebuild this team? Yeah, absolutely. Get guys that are going to be able to let Trevor Lawrence throw that deep ball. I mean, he's got such an arm on him. And I think one of the great things when you've got an NFL coach, especially again, someone who's been to Super Bowl before um, and been successful like that is you've got players in the league and more veteran players who want to be a part of that. They know that he's been there, done that. They want to come on board and they want to do that in a new location. They want to, you know, bring that Super Bowl to Jacksonville, a team that, you know, hasn't had the greatest almost decade now. <laughs> um, and I suppose that's an interesting kind of lead on in, into the, the next question, because, you know, there are different motivations and obviously um, the opportunity to win is, is really important. But I suppose players also feel like they have a short career. They need to maximize their, their earnings because ultimately you don't know, you know, what, what could happen. Um, and we, we see a situation for the Bengals where, you know, almost everything um, over the, the past year has kind of gone right for them, but they now find themselves in a situation with um, their star safety, Jesse Bates, where he hasn't um, signed they haven't managed to agree a long-term extension. He says there's no way he agrees to play on the, the franchise tag for them. He's, I mean, certainly top three. Um, you know, uh, so, some people would have him even one or two. It, it's arguable. I think everybody would agree he's top five. Do you see any situation where, given they have Joe Burrow and they're going for success, he, it, it can be reconciled? Or is this a tag and trade situation? That one's really tough. I'll be honest, because I think players now are, I think I felt this year more than ever players are feeling and taking ownership of their, of themselves, of their money, of their deals and their contracts. Whereas previously I felt like there's probably a bit more bending towards the team, but I mean, coming off of a Super Bowl appearance, Jesse Bates definitely has that upper hand in a lot of ways, but I mean, his new contract they were offering was 4 million. And I think he was looking for 12.9. I mean, that's a drastic difference in perception between the organization and a player. Now, I don't think he would get that money, but I also think that, you know, safeties are, are really tough to find a quality one, a leader on a team, someone who's able to really diagnose what an offense is doing, you know, formation recognition, all of that. 
I, I, I would be hard pressed to think that they would let him go, but they will need to find a way to, to keep him on board because players know that their careers are not forever, you know, and so many more players now are taking that into consideration. What are they going to do post-career? Whereas in the past, people were just really happy to play. They didn't necessarily think as far in advance and, and these players, you know, they don't want to be older and, and broken and, and not have the funds to survive. So I don't blame them for asking for the money. It's just a matter of at what point does your financial gain really put yourself that much higher than the team? Phoebe, the, the quarterback carousel has been quite crazy this offseason. I suppose there's only one position, one left, I suppose, to fill, and that's Jimmy G. And last February during the combine, John Lynch was interviewed, and he, he was very open. He says the plan is to trade him. Trey Lance is our quarterback. Jimmy understands the situation. I don't know what he preempted it taking till late July for Jimmy G to be thrown again, to, I suppose, to start putting himself in a position to be traded. Two teams that have been speculated this week is the Texans and the Giants. The Giants, one I, I don't buy into because they brought in Tyrod Taylor. He's on $7 million a year. <clears throat> Excuse me, to the back of Daniel Jones. So it doesn't, to me, it doesn't make sense to have three come in. And the Texans is another one, but Davis Mills had a, a reasonably good rookie year. The expectations for him were quite low as an early pick in the third round. Have you any thoughts on where Jimmy G is going to, is Seattle really out of the question because they're a divisional team? I mean, I think that would be a great move for him to go to Seattle. I mean, I don't, I don't, for me, especially if it's a divisional team, I mean, so what you have to play each other, right? All these guys have to play each other at some point anyways. I think it's, it's almost an advantage then for you because you know, the systems, you, you know, you know how Shanahan works and, and you're able to share that information. I kind of like the idea. I, I know they've already got themselves a, a more veteran quarterback with the giants, but I kind of like the idea of him going out there. Um, again, you know, Daniel Jones is, is a young quarterback. Dable has come from Buffalo, whereas with Josh Allen, um, and saw the benefits of having guys like Dave Anderson and Matt Barkley around Josh and that developmental piece. And, and I think he probably would try and recreate that. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that the giants are totally off the table. Um, and then you look at the, the Texans. Well, yep. They've got a great, you know, still young rookie quarterback. So Jimmy G will come in and can help support him. But the biggest question throughout all of this is, I don't think, or statement is, I don't think Jimmy G wants to be a supporting act in his head. He's still got it, you know, and to be fair to him last season, he had some really great games. It was just some games he just couldn't finish. And, you know, there are teams out there who could do with his experience, with his expertise. But I think there has to be a part in Jimmy G's career where he thinks and has to actively say to himself, all right, maybe I'm not the starting guy, but I can actually really impact a team in other roles. I'm a Giants fan, Phoebe, for my sins. And uh, we were <laughs> fortunate to have Joe Shane, the general manager on the show uh, some time ago. And one very interesting point he said was, just because free agency starts in March doesn't mean we're not trying to build a team in, in August. So always kind of leaves a glimmer of hope if he sees something out there. And, and potentially maybe that's where they haven't seen what they want to see out Daniel Jones in, in the OTAs and give it a couple of weeks in the training camp. But if it's still what they... Saw earlier on in, in the camps in terms of their expectations, maybe then they make that that move. What concerns me, and this is something across the league, where you bring a quarterback in so late into the offseason, or I suppose essentially it's, we're, not, we're in a new season with training camp, is that a risk trying to get them up to, up to speed with playbooks and stuff? 
No, I mean, a lot of times the playbooks are actually similar in a lot of ways. It's just perhaps in their own language, essentially, you know, each team has certain things they'll call something and, and that's kind of a worldwide football thing, you know, calling the same thing, multiple different names. So I don't think there's a problem with that. And especially when you've got a, you know, veteran quarterback coming in, you already naturally have that respect from the players and, and people will listen to them. Um, if not, sometimes they'll listen to them more than they'll listen to the rookie quarterback. So that's kind of almost that dynamic you have to then consider if you bring in someone, you know, where, for example, I'm just using the Giants as an example. If you have Daniel Jones in there and you bring in a, a Jimmy G, you know, there's that new conflict between them of, okay, first off, what are the clear roles of each of these guys and who's still being considered our franchise quarterback? Who's still going to be one that's there to lead the offense? Because if that's not made clear, that could really push the room one way or the other. I mean, I suppose one of the, the great things um, about the, the league is the fact that every year there's an influx of rookies. And we have seen in, in recent years that the rookies, uh, you, you think Jamar Chase last year, Justin Jefferson the year before, and even the fact that it has changed so much so that even the, the guys on the line, I'm thinking Tristan Wirfs, who came in and, and looked like a superstar, and Rayshon Slater for the Chargers, who's been standout. So there's a lot of excitement, I think, now about the rooks and, and, and where they're going to fit. Um, is there, there anybody in particular that you're really looking forward to seeing how they do this year? Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to uh, receiver Sky Moore um, out of explosive receiver out of Western Michigan. He is going to be with Patrick Mahomes, who no longer has Tyreek Hill. So seeing what that could look like, I'm pretty excited. And then you add in like the actual imagination of Andy Reid and, and the fun and kind of youngness of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I just think that could be a really exciting duo. Um and, and that's someone I'm, I'm looking forward to, to watching this year. I mean, he, he did great throughout college. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's, he, he could be a really nice addition to the Chiefs. Baby, this week, the tickets for the uh, Munich game went on sale. The premium tickets sold four or five weeks ago in record time. We, we've got three London games, a game in Mexico. Do you ever take Pinterest out and take a step back and look how much the game has come on across the globe? I recall going to the Giants game against the Dolphins in 2000 and October 2007, never imagining we'd be on a stage where we'd have three or four games and obviously now the game in Munich, it's, it's mind-blowing. Absolutely. And I think the, the biggest thing really is that it's been growing because of every single person that's so passionate about it, you know, from you guys and the way that you put out information about the sport and you make it so user-friendly and interesting. People want to buy in. They want to get to know you guys in the sport more to what we're doing with the NFL player pathway and um, the inter international player pathway with the NFL Academy, you know, even the CFL, they're wanting to get more international players in. Um, and now we've just seen NFL Africa going out there. And I think creating these storylines, creating these connections for people and, and not saying that it's achievable by anyone, by any means, but you can really be inspired by some of these people's stories who've, you know, come from nothing or who, you know, as we were talking about earlier on, you know, if, if you were to see someone from Ireland out there playing on the football field as a kicker, as a punter, as a DB, whatever that may look like, I mean, how much pride that fills you with just seeing the potential of the sport and, and how much opportunity it offers people.
Well, you're you're very kind with your words about the show, and and I can say that there's a lot of work that, that you do as well. We have had uh, Scott Pioli on the show in recent times. We've had Ryan Leaf on the show, and both of those gentlemen were were singing your praises and, and rightly so. Um, and we we want to thank you for being so generous with your time. Um, we we want to wish you the best of luck um, in terms of the the upcoming World Championships. I know you mentioned at the the start that you know you've got um, more. TV work, more radio work uh, coming up. Maybe you want to tell um, our viewers and our, and our listeners whereabouts they can find you. I'm sure having listened to you, they'll have enjoyed it. Where where can they find you on social media, Phoebe? Uh, so social media is just my name, Phoebe Schechter. Um, and if you're interested in participation or, you know, want to be involved or just learn more also, um, the UK Jukes, we're on Instagram, Twitter, anything like that. Sometimes it's just even learning about the game, the basics of it. So I would love to help anybody in any way that I possibly can. Great stuff. Thanks very much, baby. Thank you. First time ever. They're coming to the Aviva Stadium this August to face the Nebraska Cornhuskers football team in the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Everybody's been waiting for this. It's going to be great. We're looking forward to getting everyone over. That we are going to see a football game in Dublin. Well, welcome. Rookie camps are starting in the league this week. By the time this goes out, uh, our next guest will be uh, just about to, to kick off his first training camp. Uh, he is a man who we have discussed uh, his career on, on this show, and we're very excited uh, to welcome him out of UC Davis and now with the New Orleans Saints. Daniel Whelan, you're very welcome to the Irish NFL show. Thank you. Appreciate it. How's it going? Good. How, how have the past couple of months been for you since, uh, since you signed with the Saints? Uh, it's been very exciting whole different chapter in my life. I mean, a lot of new things coming towards me and just trying to get a grasp on all of it. But I think I'm getting more down to the understanding of everything and figuring it all out day by day. So it's going pretty well. Good, good to hear. And look, you, you got, a, I suppose, a, a bit of press coverage over here when, when you signed with the Saints and we'll get in. You've had that over the past couple of years. But for our viewers who might be less familiar with your story, Daniel, can you talk to us, I suppose, about growing up in Ireland and, and then moving stateside? Yeah, so I, I was born in uh, Dublin, Ireland, then I moved to Wicklow and uh, I lived in Enniskerry for most of my life. And then I went to a school called Aravon, which is in Bray. And then I moved to St. Jared's in Bray as well. But I primarily just played like rugby and soccer most of the time and tennis. And then when I was 13, my mom got a job offer to come to America. And the job offer was to work at the Ritz-Carlton in uh, Palm Springs. So we just decided to we're just going to take this opportunity and we both just hit the plane with two suitcases each and we were on the way to the States. Daniel, I suppose that growing up in the States is very different to, I suppose here you just touched on the fact you were playing, uh, I suppose, Irish or sports before you, you moved over to the States. How quickly did you adapt to their lifestyle in terms of sports and how quickly did you get into American football? Um, well, when I first got here, I did not play sports for like the first 
month or so. It took me a month to get even into high school. So, but I think the first week of high school, they had like soccer tryouts. So I like immediately went to do that and then played soccer here for about two, two and a half years. And then the head coach of the football team came up to me after a soccer game and he asked me to try out for the kicker. And by then it was my start of my junior year in high school. So it took me about two and a half years to really get into football. So I didn't even watch it or even like understanding rules. So it was, it was a long process, but I mean, all I did was kick the ball. So that's, all, that's really what I understood the most. Well, you were, you were pretty good at, at kicking it because um, at one point you kicked a, a 72 yard field goal and, and that got a, a bit of media buzz. I remember seeing that online at, at the time and, uh, you know, people over here going, oh my goodness, there's a, an Irish guy kicking the, the ball 72 yards. Can you talk to us, I suppose, a, li a little bit about, like, about that and, and what was that like, that first kind of media attention? Uh, it was exciting. Got a lot, yeah, I did get a lot of buzz. I think they made like a news article on the local news station and kind of threw me and Ireland all into pot. My mom got onto the, the interview as well, and they broadcasted the the field goal. And I think it was like at that moment, I was like, oh, I could like do this in college and started to go to camps and stuff after that. And, you know, just progressed from there. And how did the transition to punting then come, come along? I mean, was there a stage where you felt you were more geared towards being a kicker and then as, at some stage it changed to being a punter? Um, well, I kind of grew a little bit more when I got over here. So I was about 6'4 in high school and then I grew to be like almost 6'6 at the end of high school. And for field goals, you have to be kind of quick and like just a little bit shorter to make the operation time. And it was at this Chris Saylor camp. He told me to go work on punting with my coach, Aaron Perez. And that's kind of like when I started to transition to punting because it was just a better feel for my build and my size. So after that, I just stuck with it. And can you talk to us then a little bit about your, your time at UC Davis and what, what that, that experience was like? Any particular moments that stand out for you? Uh, I mean, I enjoyed every single bit of it. I mean, I thought it was a kind of a coincidence, like the the UCD part and the UCD in Ireland. Like, I was like, kind of like, ah, oh, kind of makes sense. So I was like, kind of fell in love with Davis. It's similar to Ireland. It's small. It's green. It's like, everybody's nice here. And the football, the football, um, I mean, it's like a huge family. Everybody like loves each other. But I mean... Just like playing and experiencing a whole different sport in college is like amazing. I'm very grateful for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty blessed to be where I'm at right now. So, Daniel, can you, can you talk to us about the lead up to the draft in terms of, you know, did you have the opportunity to try out for any of the pro teams in terms of scouts being there? And, and at what stage did you get a sense that the Saints were keen to sign you, sign you albeit you, you weren't drafted initially with the four seven rounds? Uh, was there any other teams that were in, in play as well as the Saints? Yeah, there were a couple of teams, but a couple of teams uh, tried me out first, but then the Saints were the last team to try me out, which was a week before the draft. I remember talking to Coach Riz about it, and he just 
I don't know. I liked him. He's a really good dude, and he's really interested in me. We had a similar style of, like, hunting and what to do, and he just, like, gave me a lot of good information and just, like, helped me kind of get through the draft. And, yes, teams called me through the draft, but he called me a lot more and was very interested, so I decided to go to the Saints. And I suppose you, you mentioned, um, you know, in, in terms of some of the coaches who have uh, been involved in, in your development and just kind of interested in terms of are there any players um, past or, or present that you kind of watch what they do? Not Maybe they're punters, maybe they're just guys they, from, from potentially other sports. I know um, when we had James McCourt on, he was talking about like how he had read kind of Johnny Wilkinson's book and um, uh, Dan Carter's book. And, and for him as a kicker, that made a lot of sense. But I'm wondering for you, are, are there any kind of sporting icons that you look up to uh well when i was back in ireland johnny sexton was like probably my favorite player by half kicker great player for ireland i mean i watched i just used to watch him a lot i played by half so it kind of made sense all the drop kicks and everything that's what i love to watch so um i mean as far as like sports players or like any sport i mean mcgregor see what he's done for like ireland and everything i mean it's pretty impressive so i mean got big shoes to fill if I need to do that. So, <laughs> I mean, and also a current punter I watched would be uh, Johnny Hecker, who was at the Rams. Um, I mean, we were similar builds, similar like style of punting. So definitely watched a lot of film on him and learned a lot about punting through that. So, Daniel, another player who's in a similar situation to you with yours, Heritage is James McCourt. We had him on recently. He, yeah. he touched on the fact that you have spoken. Um, I suppose it's 27 years since a player has from Ireland has, has played in the NFL. Is that in the back of your mind as you go into this camp to potential to be that first person potentially to, to I suppose, represent the country in a strange way? Um, yeah, it's in the back of my mind. I mean, I'm like trying to do it for everybody, you know, who knows me as well as myself. I'm just trying to like prove to everybody that I'm capable of being in the NFL. So it's my main goal. So, yeah, I mean, I'd love to do it. And um, we we were fortunate to, to get to talk to um, the Saints kind of legendary GM, Mickey Loomis. And uh, your your name certainly uh, came up. He'd been out on the, the training field and he said he'd, he'd seen you uh, kicking. Um, how how has the, the you know I suppose joining the Saints been? Did you get an opportunity to meet, to meet with Mickey? What has um, it been like in terms of the facilities and stuff like that? Oh, well, it's a big change from UC Davis. Facilities are amazing out there. I mean, I'm blessed to be there. First of all, I talked to Mickey a couple of times. Not much. We're all in our own little parts of football at that point. Uh, I mean. In terms of football punting, like it's very detailed, very like got to be on when you're, it's your time to go. Um, yeah, the facilities are great, very good. Get recovery in, good. They've got a good uh, training staff for like our bodies and everything. So I'm very grateful for that too. But it's been going well. I mean, I'm excited to get back there for training camp and see all the guys again. And Daniel, just asking on the guys, I mean, you've done the voluntary camps and, you know, even Dennis Allen came out and, you know, kind of 
called you out in particular around how impressive you were during those camps. Um, mixing with rookies and obviously veterans. I mean, do you get a sense? It's a very different time now since they've moved on from Sean Payton. And what's the overall kind of feel within the organization? Because a lot of people feel the Saints have a great chance this year to really challenge the books for the division. Yeah, I mean, they have a great chance. We're, we're looking really good right now. Everybody's like, it's like a brotherhood there. Everybody loves each other. Everybody encourages each other. I mean, no doubt, it's definitely going to have a great shot at winning the Super Bowl this year. So, I mean, let's go. <laughs> well, we, we want to thank you for taking the time to, to join us. We obviously wish you great success in terms of, of training camp, and we hope it, it goes well. We will be watching uh, to see how your career progresses. And um, we, we really, really hope um, that it, it goes well. And we hope to be welcoming you maybe back onto the, the show uh, in the, the not too distant future when, uh, you know, you are playing in the league as the, the first Irishman, as Brian mentioned, in 37 years. So thanks very much, Daniel. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you. Have a good one.